The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Certainly, I need the Lord this morning. And uh, uh, when John Mark called me Thursday morning and said, uh, you're going to have to preach, <clears throat> I took a big swallow and I said, okay. And uh, uh, it was a surprise to me, but yet in some ways it wasn't because I think God had laid something on my heart that he wanted me to share and he just didn't know it was going to be this quickly. <sighs> so here it is. I am what I am. This is what it is. So uh, I hope that uh, you'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you if I can't get to to you, allow the Holy Spirit to do that. Uh, John Mark still has his sense of humor. I want you to know he, uh, he asked me to preach, number one. But number two, he, he said, I got a passage for you I want you to preach on. I said, well, I swallowed harder. I said, okay. He says, I want you to preach from Song of Solomon. <clears throat> There's a joke that goes wrong, along in my celebration class. I used to teach. I taught for many years. And I walked through the Bible from Genesis all the way to Song of Solomon. And at that point, I just so happened to have my jobs changed and I could not teach any longer. And that wasn't the reason, but they say that was the reason I stopped teaching because I got to Song of Solomon. So, um, I, I tell you what, it'll just be a secret between you and me. If Brother John Mark asks you, you tell him I did a great job on Song of Solomon, okay? I'm not going to preach on Song of Solomon today. Um, I, uh, I have three children. Some of you may know that, may not know that. I have uh, uh, some great kids. I, I've enjoyed watching them grow up. Uh, you know, just had a wonderful time as, as they were babies, you know, changing diapers. And, you know, I just, it, that was a great time in my life. I had a wonderful time when they were kids trying to keep up with them and taking them places, you know. And then I had a, a great time when they were young, younger uh, students and stuff. And, uh, you know, always having to watch after them. And they were rebellious at times, you know. And, you know, pretty good. We're in the best time of my, our lives right now when our kids are adults. Don't you think? You know, uh, I, I, I'm living a life right now, I want you to know. I, I really enjoy watching them have kids that give them the same problem that they gave me <clears throat> and smiling at them and, and just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing I get the most joy out of, the thing I get uh, the most delight in my children nowadays is when I see them fulfilling their calling, when I see them doing what God has called them to do. I tell you, there's nothing like it, guys. You, you see them and you're working with them and trying to get them to go the right road when they're little, when they get older and they've got it. And they are starting to do the things that God's called them to do. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. My son, uh, his name is Jeff. He's 38 years old and he was always around her when he was a little boy. Uh, just loved to tear things apart and put them back together and not necessarily the same way that they were when they were before he tore, tore them apart. But they, he, he loved to get into things and he loved to, uh, to work with his hands. Uh, for instance, when he was a preteen, uh, about 10 years old, uh, there, was a, there was a field behind our house, behind our backyard that he loved to play in, but he couldn't get to it because it was a big, deep ditch. And uh, he would crawl down there, but his sisters, who were younger than him, couldn't get go back there with him. So he decided he was going to build him a bridge. And he got some landscape timbers that I'd pulled up and were about to throw away. And 
And uh, he laid those timbers across the bridge. He didn't think that was good enough, so he found some concrete that I had in the, in the basement. And he mixed up the concrete, and he, he made it flat. And he didn't think that was good enough, so he put railings on the, uh, on the, the bridge because the girls were afraid to get across. I mean, he, he loved to build. He loved to think all those things. And, and he was very proud of that bridge. And he got, one day he came up and he was very upset because some boys in the neighborhood got, had gotten on the bridge and started messing with it. They'd cut the railings and done some things. And he was, he was not happy. And, uh, and he said, you know, Daddy, I've got to do something about it. I'm going, son, there's nothing you can do about it, you know. It's not even going over to our property. you just got, going to have to let it happen. We were about to go on vacation and he announced, I'm not going on vacation. I've got to stay here and protect my bridge. I said, son, you're going to have to go with the family on vacation. You've got to do that. And so he left, and about an hour he, uh, later, he came back. He said, Dad, don't worry about it. I've got it all taken care of. When he says that, when he was, it, there, there was just, just a chill that went up my spine. What have you done, son? What have you done? He says, come here, and I'll show you. Now I walk out to the backyard and look at the bridge. And sitting on the bridge, he's gotten two five-gallon... Uh, uh, cans that I had and uh, he turned them upside down to where they were about this high you know and he, he, he sat there he says now I want you to watch what happened next time somebody messes with my bridge and he, and he says he, if they cut this rope right here which was the railing you know if, if they mess with this this is what's going to happen he untied the rope and let it go and a large log about four foot long and about five inches in diameter. I don't know how in the world he got it up there. Swung out of the trees. And destroyed the buckets. Jeff, you can't do that. Don't do that. He says, well, it's, you know. So I, it, my son loved mechanical things. He loved to take care of that. He became my electrical engineer. He, he loves to do that. And he uh, started with a, with a company that does, uh, he has cam uh, smart cameras, reads labels and things like that. And, and they were having trouble going into a new area because their camera was set up to where it, it didn't do that well. And my son, they, they gave, he was in research and development. And so he, they gave him the project. And it wasn't too long before he had figured out somehow above my head to, to Im increase the uh, uh, the readability of things. I don't know. But anyway, it got a whole bunch better. So much so that they went into a field they never have. And my son has been traveling all over the world now, setting up systems for airports and for places that use uh, conveyor belts that read things. He travels all over the place. It all started when he was a little boy, when I gave him some marbles uh, and some PVC pipe. And he started figuring out how to get everything to the different places. He is fulfilling his calling in life. Uh, my youngest daughter, who is now uh, 33, gosh, I can't believe that I'm saying that. Uh, she, she was the life of the party. She was my little socialite. She enjoyed talking. Oh, did she enjoy talking. Sometimes we'd say, Amy, you're hurting my ears. You're hurting my ears. And, uh, and, and we, she enjoyed, all, she enjoyed making relationships with people. All she would, her, her life of the party was that she was being the middle of everybody. Now, I don't know where she got that from. Her mother and I are not like that. You know, we'd rather be in the corner reading a book or something. 
it must have skipped a generation. I don't know. But she enjoys sharing uh, and, and, and starting new relationships. What is she doing now? Two weeks ago, she started full-time with Campus Crusade. And her job is to go on campuses and to start relationships with college kids and lead them and disciple them in the Lord. She is on fire. She is so excited about what God is doing in her life. And it makes, gives me such delight to see what she's doing. My, my oldest daughter, she is now 30, uh, 35 years old. From the very beginning, from a, as a little child, she, we knew she had a special talent. God had given her talent of music. She loved music. She would always listen to music. I don't know where she got that from. But she had an ear for music. She could sing harmony as a little child. I'd never seen a child do that. And, and she could hear so well. So we decided we were going to get her involved. We got all the children involved in playing instruments. But especially Jenny, we wouldn't let her play the violin. Let her play the violin. Okay? And uh, from the age of 5 to the age of 22, we paid for violin lessons. I am afraid to count up that, that money that we spent on that. As a matter of fact, I've kind of wanted a refund because because uh, she's now that she's playing well. I mean, all those scratchings and all the squeaking and stuff uh, we had to endure. But now that she plays well, she plays for somebody else at another church, and I just don't think that's fair. I think I need a rebate of some, some sort, you know. But she plays with passion. She loves loves what she's doing. And by the way, this won't cost you any money. I think if we looked at anything that the churches of today are missing, it's passion. We are not putting our life and our whole emotions into what we do. So that doesn't cost anything. But Jenny plays with passion and it makes this daddy be filled with joy and filled with delight. Now, why are you saying, why have you told us all of that? Well... Uh, the Apostle John in 3 John, uh, let me see where is this at, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, got this idea, got on board with this. And he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He says, there's no greater joy than to know that my children, now he's telling his spiritual children, are doing the things that they were called to do. All right. My question today is... What does God the Father see when he looks at your life and your life's work today? Is he delighted? Are you fulfilling your call in life? Let's talk real, real quickly about call. You know, for every Christian, I really believe that there is a specific call in your life. Uh, uh, Ephesians 2.10, after that great grace, by you're, you're saved by faith, we, sometimes we'll stop there. But right after that, the next verse, it says, uh, for, for we are his workmanship. We are created for good works in Christ. That's the reason that God made me. That's the reason he made me a Christian, for good works. Now, the works don't save us. We learned that earlier in the verse. But we are created for specific things because the, the rest of the verse says... He's created us for good works in Christ, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Specific. God's prepared those things for us to do. And, and I think that everyone 
If I can urge you to do things, find that calling. Find that specific work that God has for you to do. You're not here for the ride. It's time for you to get up and start rowing the boat or doing whatever you need to do to start finding your calling in life. Now, there's specific callings, but I want to talk today about some certain callings that all Christians need to fulfill as we become devoted followers in Christ. Now, we're going to go um, to a time in Jesus' ministry where I believe that he saw four of his followers who were unknown, unnamed. We still don't know their names. We still don't know who they were. I think that's neat. You know, that, that uh, they, they're notified, but they're, they're brought out in scriptures, three out of the four gospels, but we don't have any idea who they are. You know? Uh, these four guys, and it said that God, that Jesus was delighted in their work of faith. We're going to turn to Mark 2, verses 1 through 5. Just five short verses. I'm going to read these and then I'll go back. It said, and again he entered Capernaum after some days. This is chapter 2 of Mark, verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he, Jesus, was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing the paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. May God add to the, his blessings to his word today. Now, first of all, I want to know, uh, let you see that uh, he comes into the, the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was kind of his central hub. Uh, it, was, it was a city by the sea. I've had the privilege of being there. It's a bunch of ruins now. Uh, but uh, there's a synagogue, ruins of a synagogue, and a ruins of, uh, of uh, a Peter's mama's house, basically, is, is what it is. But uh, uh, back in those days, this was a, a, a thriving little city. And Jesus used this as he went out in his circuit preaching around the, uh, this uh, area. He'd always come back to Capernaum. And he'd usually stay, uh, we think, at uh, Peter's mama's house. And there he would be. And we believe this is the, probably the house that he was in at the time. And it says that he, he entered the city and uh, it was heard that Jesus was in the house. Rumor got around. People started sharing... Jesus is here. And people started coming. You know, I would love for First Baptist Church of Conyers to have that reputation. To have that rumor going around, hey, Jesus is in the house. Jesus is doing great and mighty things. Great works. And, and we need to find out what it is. Now, what was the result of Jesus being in the house, we saw that there were great crowds that came. It says, immediately many gathered so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. Uh, you know, we, 
Let me just kind of pull your chair up here and let me talk to you for a minute. We're worried about crowds, aren't we? We're worried about numbers. I really think that if we concentrate on making Jesus the number one thing in this place, if we give all of our energies and passionately worship Him, if we show the results of Jesus being here, which would be kindness and, 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 and love, if we, if we would show acceptance and forgiveness and compassion, if we would show those things and make Jesus the number one thing, I really believe that our neighborhood would say, hey, Jesus is in that house. Let's concentrate on that. Let's, let's stop worrying about all the other things. Let's, let's stop figuring, you know. We, we've already proven over and over again that, yeah, you can get a crowd by having a big bang. You can, you can set fires on the stage. You can do all kinds of things you want to do. And you can get a crowd here. But they can leave afterwards, don't they? Okay? If we want a crowd to come, if we want them to stay and be involved, if we want them to be discipled, we need to show Jesus in our lives and in our church today. Now, the crowd came. And then we are introduced to the four. Um, the, the pronoun that says, it said, then they came to him. You know, how would you like to, to say, you know, uh, a man's going to come and preach for us today. You know. And, and nobody introduces him. You know, this is how it was. Hey, the name is not important. It's the fact of what they did. That was important. And it said, they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. There were no names. There were no positions. No descriptions. Just faithful followers. Now, uh, I, I want to just kind of point this out. That there were four of them. There were guys. I can't imagine them all of a sudden accidentally showing up at this guy's house. Oh, hi. Hi, Tom. How you doing? Hi, Fred. You everything go okay? Well, look here. There's a, there's a man there. Let's just pick him up and carry him to Jesus. No, that didn't happen. There was a plan, wasn't there? Some, th th these four guys had gotten together. Somehow, they trusted each other. Because what they were going to do was kind of out there on the edge, wasn't it? So they must have spent time together. Probably weekly. Hmm. Sounds like a discipleship group to me. Isn't it to you? They got involved in each other's lives. They got concerned about other people. And I think this is very interesting. That they got so involved that they together started going toward one person. They saw a need, and they met that need. Um, they brought a paralytic. Now, the paralytic, we don't know. Just He had some limbs or all limbs or whatever. It, it said that he couldn't get up. Obviously, he had to be carried. So probably his entire body was frozen. Was uh, limbs that were meant to, to be moved and uh, to give strength were useless. Now, I don't think this was something that just happened yesterday. I think this was probably something that had been long term. And, and this, uh, this paralytic probably had done the very best 
He, he realized that he had to depend totally on, on everybody because he could do nothing. He probably had a cot of some sort uh, you know, that, he, that he slept on or that he laid on. So when somebody wanted to take him somewhere, somebody was good enough to take him somewhere, they just picked up the ends, the corners of the bed and carried him wherever he needed to be. You know, I, I, this person was totally dependent upon other people because he was frozen. He was a paralytic. Now, we don't see a whole bunch of people like that nowadays, but we do see people every day in your neighborhood that are spiritually paralyzed, that are spiritually frozen and cannot be released. They may not even know that they have that need, but you can see it. And when you know that there's only one answer for that frozen person, what do you do? You go by and say, hey, Fred, how you doing? Everything going okay? Good. Do you uh, say, you know, we're going to have a revival. Gosh, we haven't had a revival in years. Have we? Uh, you know, we're going we're to have a special meeting. You know, let's, hey, why don't you come? No. These four guys went and got this guy. Now, interesting, the things you can think of. I wonder if the guy wanted to come or not. You know, he didn't have much say about it. But I think that he was part of the faith that he saw. So, I, yes, I believe that he, he had some sort of faith in there. And he was able, as he was able to be healed later on. But uh, as he went, not on his own, the, the, the four guys decided to, to, to bring him. Now, they, they, get to, uh, they get to the house. And this is the crisis of the story. The crisis is that they couldn't get in to see Jesus. There were so many people there. They, they could not get in the front door. Now, I thought that it's interesting to think about who was there. We know that the scribes and the Pharisees were there because they speak later on in the story. So we see that there were people, there were, non there were people that, that were, were not wanting the, the things that, that Jesus wanted. They were trying to, to, to lure him into a, a situation where they could catch him and, and hurt him. There were probably some well-intentioned people there. People wanted to be healed, of course. And there were people that wanted to hear the word. But there were also folks that just didn't care about Jesus there. They were in the way. Now, isn't that scary to think that anybody would be in the way of somebody coming to Jesus? You know, I pray, God, please don't ever let me just fill a pew. Don't ever let me just block the view of Jesus to somebody else. They couldn't come near him. Are you in the way of someone coming to Jesus today? Are you taking up space, blocking the view? Later, these same people that were blocking the view, the scribes, uh, they stood up to Jesus and they, they complained because Jesus had not done the right thing or done it in the way he wanted. What a sad life to be blessed by being in the presence of Jesus, but just getting in the way. Let's make a decision today, a commitment today, never to get in the way. And so, 
we see the crisis. What do these guys do? Well, one of them had to be an engineer. The only thing I'd figure out. Because he, 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 you know, you, you think about the personality of these guys. And this is not scripture, guys. I mean, you know, but you think about this, uh, the personality. Somebody had to be a leader. But, you know, but they weren't all four leaders or they wouldn't have gotten anything done because they'd all wanted to go different directions. So there was a leader. There was probably a person full of faith. You know, that, that just wanted to do the right thing. And he was energetic. There was, there was probably just somebody that just come along to help. You know? And, uh, and, and these guys get together. And, and they, say, they didn't stop and say, you know, oh, Peter, the paralytic. You know, I'm sorry. We, we did the best we could. We came. You know, you, you can see yourself. That there, there, there's too many people at the door. We can't get in. I tell you what. You, we're just going to leave you here. We'll come back tomorrow. And, and we'll see if we can get you in tomorrow. No, they didn't do that. They said, hey, this is urgent. This man needs to be healed. Let's find a way. Let's find a way. They, uh, they come up and they uncover the roof. Now, you have to realize it's not a roof like we think of in our modern day home. In those days, in the biblical days, they were most likely flat roofs. And uh, these, th- there was a stairwell from the out, a stairway from the outside that led up to the roof. A lot of people would go up in the evenings to catch the breeze. Remember, there's no air conditioning, you know. This was the only place they could probably keep cool. And then they would move into their house for some sort of protection at night afterwards. So they went up these stairs. The roof itself was most likely made out of beams of wood and then either thatch that was laid over top of them <clears throat> or maybe if it was a more expensive home they had clay tile that laid on top of them and then there was dirt that laid on top of that for insulation and there was so they had a lot they had a lot of work to do <clears throat> it wasn't just like going up there and opening a hatch or a, a trap door they had work to do they had to get their hands dirty so we see that they go after <clears throat> And uncover the roof. They didn't get in the way. They didn't uh, wait for anybody else. They uncovered. They, they took on the task. And then they let down the bed. Now look at the comparison between these four guys that are, that are staying up there in the roof. They're not jumping down trying to get, in, get close to Jesus. They're letting their friend who is in great need come down. They're putting others in front of them. Compare that with the scribe sitting there, probably in a prominent position. The scribe probably wouldn't sit any other place. He was in a prominent position. He could be seen. Everybody could see him. He was probably a comfortable, the most comfortable seat in the house. Sometimes I, uh, he, probably, he may he may have come up to say, "Excuse me, sir, you're sitting in my seat." You reckon? But these, these four guys said, hey, I'm going to put somebody else in front of me. And I'm going to make sure that they see Jesus. Now, when the bed gets down, you've got you to imagine this. This is, you know, the, uh, there, there's dirt. In, there's got to be dirt and debris on the floor. And then sitting on top of the dirt and the debris, there's a bed of some sort with a man sitting. I wonder what the man was thinking, the, the paralytic man was thinking. You know, was he singing? You know, uh, 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 tis so sweet to trust in you. What, what, I, I don't know. What, what was he trying to think of? It? What, what in the world? Are these people going to beat me up and throw me out the window? What are they going to do? The room had to get quiet. 
as Jesus, and they all looked at Jesus trying to decide what he was going to do. The very first thing it's mentioned is not the astonished people in the room. It's not the mess that people made. It, it, it's uh, not even the paralytic that lay on the, uh, on the mess in, in, in his bed. He said, Jesus looked up and he saw the disciples' faith. He saw the disciples' faith. Oh, I, I read this um, earlier this week. And I just cried out, Lord, I, I am 64 years old. And I've been in your service for over 45 years. Can you really see my faith today? Can you, are you delighted in my life's work? So let's take just a moment and go back and see what Jesus saw as far as the faith of, the, of those four people. I tell you what he didn't see. He didn't see their church attendance. He didn't see their giving record. He didn't see their social standing. He didn't see their committee uh, membership, their neat appearance, or their stylish dress. No, those things did not show their faith. Sometimes we get too wrapped up in those things. Let's look back now at Mark 2 and, make, and see what Jesus saw as faith. Number one, and we've already mentioned that, is we saw a specific discipleship. We saw guys getting together and living life together. That's what discipleship is all about. That's what Brother John Mark has been trying to get us to do. We tend to want to you know, come here to church and just you know, have a good fellowship and shake people's hands and sing and then we go off and we live by ourselves and we know that we're probably not going to live the life that we need to but as long as nobody knows it it's okay I can come back to church the next Sunday and just start it all over again these people were living life together they were having discipleship together saying hey you know I have a problem I, I, I this, this problem is, it, it, it is overwhelming me please pray for me these guys got together. There was a specific discipleship. This is what Brother John Mark has been trying to get us to do. We need to get those books out there. We need to find people that say, Would you live life with me? Would you live the Christian life with me? Would you please be a, 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 help me be accountable for the things I say I'm going to do? That's tough. That's hard to let people in. And do that. But that's what we need to do. Then, number two, I think that Jesus saw their faith because they saw an individual's need. Boy, we, we have a talent of being able to overlook things. You know, uh, uh, it, it's, it's hard to, uh, to imagine, but sometimes we just kind of, there's needs all around us. And boy, our heads are up in the clouds. And we're so heavenly minded, we're not any earthly good. You know, and, and, and we, we, we've got to start looking at the needs of people. We, our hearts have got to start breaking for those needs. And then we've got to do something about it. Then, they got personally involved. They didn't, now, they, they, they didn't uh, decide that, hey, I, I'm going to pay money for a cab to come and get you. No, they didn't do that. They didn't go to the pastor and say, Pastor, you need to start a new ministry of, of bed carrying. And you need to get a group together. And you need, to get a, you need to get them to go get old Peter the paralytic and bring him to Jesus. 
Now, as a staff member, I, I want you to know I've had many times people tell me, come and tell me what they think that I should do. And I finally learned to say, sounds like a good job, why don't you do it? But they didn't do that. They got personally involved. They got their hands on the cot and they picked them up. Now, I think it's interesting that there were four corners of the cot, probably, don't you think? And there were four guys. Everybody got involved. Nobody just kind of walked along and said, oh, that end up a little bit more, you know, whatever. You're doing that wrong over there. No, they didn't do that. Everybody got involved. No one sat by and watched. And then I think that Jesus saw that they had an unwavering commitment. They didn't give up. I, I just, I, I've been astonished at today's modern church, how people just give up on things. They don't, they, you know, something's not happening. This is not happening the way I think that this is happening. This is whatever. I'm just going to leave and go to another church. You know, don't give up. Get your hands in the job and keep on going. They had an unwavering commitment. They got there. There was a crisis. What they do? They figured out another way to do it. And that's what we need to do. Now, sometimes we have to have an unconventional method in the way that we do things. Going through the roof was not a, a normal thing to do. It, it, was, it was an unconventional method. And uh, I'm sure somebody said, hey, wait a second. This... We've never done this this way before. I'm sure that somebody said that. You know? Uh, damaged ceiling or not, they were going to get their friend to Jesus somehow. Now, we as a church are sometimes hindered by our traditions and by our structure. Now, I, I love structure. Okay? I'm a musician. I'm, I'm all about structure, about rhythm, about time, and about everything happening at the right place. But there's a time for that and there's a time to let, to let it go. To let it go. Especially if it's not working. Now, if it's comfortable, that's, you know. But if it's not working, what good is it? It's just comfortable for you. We need to look hard at the things we're doing, the structures that we have at our church. And if they're not working, we need to start looking for a roof that we can dig a hole in. Now, not only was it unconventional, but it was unpopular. I can imagine those guys up there looking up and saying, What in the world is happening? We're here with, with our personal time with Jesus. What is the dirt coming down? It, it, it's getting everything. It, there, there's a big mess. You know, I'm sure that they were not happy. Now, this is hard for me because with my a retriever personality, I want to please everybody all the time. And I run myself ragged trying to make everybody happy. I just know that's my personality. But guys, sometimes we got to do the things that are unpopular. We've got we we to do what needs to be done. I, I would love for our church to start saying, we need to reach first, we, we need to reach Conyers, the city of Conyers, for Christ. And our motto will be, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And I honestly, you know, I love the missions that we do in other states, in other countries. And I want us to still do them. But I don't think we have the right to go any further until we start making an effect in our own community. Whatever it takes. 
And that's what those people did. And then I find, I find that there was unfailing teamwork. These guys got there and they worked together. They dug into that roof together. They picked up those tiles. They, they picked up the, the cot. Uh, as they lowered him, I, I can only imagine that they probably used a rope on each corner. And each of the guys had a, had a hold of the rope. And they were lowering the cot down. Now, what if one of the guys said, you know, this is just too much work. You know, I didn't sign up for this. It's too sweaty. My, I'm messing up my suit. You know, I give up. And he let go of the work, rope. Just one guy. What would have happened? It would have been a disaster, wouldn't it? A disaster would have happened if only one out of the th- other four let go of the rope. They work together as a team. And that's what we need to do. We need to come together and all do our part. Now, some of you may think, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting older or I've got this problem or whatever. I just can't do it. You do what God has you to do and you be faithful to it. And it may just be the rope of prayer that you hold on to. You know, but you do your part. Hold on to the rope. So, what is our task today? Discipleship. Guys, we've talked about it. We've talked about it. We've talked about it. It's time to do something about it. All right? We need to be looking at other people's needs and meeting those needs. So easy to just to go home on Sunday afternoons and watch TV, football, or whatever and not worry about anybody else and, and close that garage door and shut out the rest of the world. We need to look into the eyes of people and meet their needs. We need to be personally involved. We need to be committed at doing it, willing to do whatever it takes, popular or not. And we need to do things as a team. Now, what was the results of all this? Of course, the man was, the man was, uh, was healed, as you know the story. And I'm not going to read the rest of the story. But we also find that it said in verse 12, Immediately he arose and took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. The results then were so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. I want us to glorify God in such a way that the people around us will say, Boy, I've never seen anything like this happen. That First Baptist Church, Jesus is in the house. Something special is happening today. Now, none of this would have happened without there first being a challenge. A challenge. The challenge of getting the paralytic to the, the house, the challenge of not being ha- having enough people, uh, having too many people there and not getting... The cha- if, if there had not been a challenge, their faith would not have been shown as much. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.